Thomas Harris, in his novel, The Silence of the Lambs, which also became a movie in the early 1990s starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, has a scene where Officer Starling is talking to Hannibal Lecter, this monstrous killer, describing the bad things he's done. And she looks at him and says, what happened to you that you could do this? Who did something to you that you could be so bad? And he looks into her eyes and says, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Officer Starling, you've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand to say that I am evil? Hannibal Lecter is saying in so many words to Officer Starling, you can't blame the monstrous things I've done on my circumstances. You can't blame my mother or my mother's mother. Can you stand to say that I am evil? Andrew Del Banco is a professor at Columbia University in New York City. And as he reflected on the fact that many of his Jewish ancestors were gassed in Nazi concentration camps, he who was once a secular liberal came to the realization that it would be too simplistic to explain what the Nazis did was a result of their not getting enough love and affection and milk and cookies from their parents when they were children and therefore were venting their repressed anger on the Jews. Professor Del Banco also came to the conclusion that it would be too simplistic to say the Germans did what they did during the war because they had bad DNA, bad genes. Del Banco came to realize that the only way to experience an evil as horrific as the Holocaust is to believe in some kind of spiritual or transcendent evil. Now, there are many people in the post-Enlightenment West that deny any kind of spiritual or transcendent evil. But there are many people in the rest of the world, including Africa, Latin America, and Asia, who believe in the reality of spiritual forces of evil. And the Bible affirms that we are who we are and we become who we become, in part because of our circumstances, in part because of what we have inherited genetically from our ancestors, so our DNA, in part from the choices we've made, but the scriptures also teach that we become who we become in part because of forces of spiritual light and darkness in the world. And we see a man who is clearly afflicted by 
spiritual forces of darkness in his world in Mark chapter 5. In the gospel, we read, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our understanding so that we may be more attuned, more aware of the spiritual realities around us, both light and dark. We also pray that we would have a clearer vision and a deeper experience of Jesus so that the powers of darkness might be broken in us. And it's in Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. We're currently in a sermon series where we're looking at how people in the Gospels encounter Jesus, how they're changed by him, and how as a result of their being changed by him, we get a window into how we can experience transformation as we meet Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at a man who meets Jesus and how Jesus breaks evil or bad or the darkness in him. Let me set up the context. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we read that when evening came, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and they sailed into what became a raging storm. So it's late at night, it's, there's a raging storm and Jesus gets up and he simply says, quiet, be still. And miraculously, the violent storm calms down. The waters become like glass. I would have loved to have actually been there in that moment. It must have been just incredible. And they continue to sail late into the night to the southeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle of the night, they get off the boat, step onto ground. And they're in a region called the Gerasenes. We're told in the passage that, that on the hillside there are tombs, there are caves. And the moonlight reveals that hundreds of restless pigs are wandering about. So it is an eerie scene. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, this naked man comes running down the hill toward Jesus, shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of the Most High, what do you want with me? In God's name, don't torture me. And Mark tells us that this man who is running and then who kneels before Jesus is afflicted by an evil or an impure spirit. Now, there are many people in our modern world that would dismiss what Mark is describing here by saying, look, Mark was a primitive person who lived in the first century world. Uh, they didn't understand much about medicine or psychiatry. They didn't have Google. They couldn't look up the symptoms on the internet. And so when they saw someone with a seizure or someone with a mental illness and couldn't explain why they were the way they were, they attributed their condition to a demon. But we actually know that people in Jesus' first century world could distinguish between a person having a seizure and a person who was experiencing mental illness from a person who was 
afflicted in some way by a dark and evil spirit. So in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, we read that various people with all kinds of of ailments were being brought to, to Jesus. And from the Greek, we know that the first century writers, the first century people could distinguish between someone who was having a seizure and someone who had a mental illness and someone who was being oppressed by a dark spirit. So they understood these differences. And Mark tells us that this man who was being afflicted by demons or dark spirits had great power. We read in verses 3 and 4, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This man had given himself apparently over to evil and he had great power. He was able to break chains, break the irons on his feet. And when we give ourselves over to evil, there is often some kind of power that goes with it. And so in the Faustian legends, for example, a person will give themselves over to evil, to the devil, in exchange for some kind of power. It might be youthful vigor. It might be beauty. It might be knowledge that they receive, or wealth, or fame. And so the evil gives them power, but the evil also ends up damaging the person as well. We read in verse 5 that the evil spirits were causing this man to cry out and to cut himself with stones night and day. But evil does at times, for a season, give us a kind of power. Gebor Mate is a Vancouver-based physician and author who recently wrote the book, The Myth of Normal, in which he describes being in a conversation with a Métis man. So uh, if you're not from Canada, uh, the Métis peoples uh, descended from people of both European and indigenous ancestry. And uh, this Métis writer, professor, and former inmate named Jesse Thistle is telling Mate about his experience using drugs. Jesse Thistle said, the drugs gave me access to friends, and it gave me power, confidence, and it worked for a while. It worked for about the first three years. I became almost like bulletproof. And drugs for a time can work for a person, giving them social access because they feel more confident. Uh, it, it can help them express themselves with fewer inhibitions as they speak or as they write. And so using drugs can work for a time up until they don't work anymore. They give and then they start to take and take and take, eventually more than they give. Drugs provide a kind of freedom for a time, and then enslave. And that's what evil does. Evil gives, but then it takes more than it gives. To offer maybe a less obvious example, let's say that you make your career success the most important thing in your life, the center of your existence. 
Nothing wrong, by the way, with being ambitious in your work or at school. But as the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard rightly says, the essence of sin is putting something other than God at the center of our existence. So if we make career success or academic success the center of our existence, knowingly or unknowingly, our actual God, our idol, that idol will actually work for us for a time. We get promoted. We get better grades, more money, recognition, maybe even honors. But then the idol starts to take more than it gives. If our success, career success, academic success, is at the very center of our existence, we will feel a sense of restlessness and dissatisfaction because we will realize there is always someone ahead of us or at least someone about to run past us. We will feel more anxiety than we need to feel because we're afraid of failing. If we make success our actual God, the center of our existence, our mental health and our physical health may be undermined and we will compromise our relationship with God and with other people. Idols work for a time until they don't work for us. So what's it like to be freed from demonic oppression or an addiction or an idol of some kind, some kind of darkness? Well, it will be liberating on the one hand, but it will also be in all likelihood painful as well. We see that when this man sees Jesus who's demonized, he runs toward Jesus. So on the one hand, he's drawn to him, but he gets on his knees and says, in God's name, don't torture me. So he anticipates there's going to be some kind of pain involved in being separated from the evil to which he is attached. Drawn and yet repelled from what Jesus might do in his life. C.S. Lewis, the great author, in one of his classic works called The Great Divorce, uses his considerable powers of imagination to envision a busload of people that are making a field trip from hell to the outskirts of heaven. On the bus is a man that Lewis describes as small and with an oily face. And on his shoulder is a red lizard that's speaking into his ear. The man gets off the bus. He's walking around the outskirts of heaven. The red lizard is saying things into his ear. And the man is saying, shut up! Shut up! But the lizard won't shut up. And so the man is angry and he, he turns away from heaven and he starts heading back to the bus, which will take him back to hell. Before he arrives at the bus, a radiant angel approaches the man and says, are you off so soon? And the man says, well, and pointing to the lizard, his, his kind of talk won't do here. It just won't do here. And the angel says, do you want me to quiet that lizard? And the man says, yes, do I ever? And the angel steps forward with his enormous hands and says, then I will kill him. And the man panics and thinks, oh, uh, but I don't want to be forever without the sweet fantasies that the lizard whispers into my ear. But he also wants to be free from the burden, so he goes back and forth. And the angel says, in order for me to kill the lizard, I need your consent, your permission. 
So the man goes back and forth. He finally agrees. The angel crushes the red lizard. And the man says, Oh! But then something happens to him. He grows into this immense man, just a little smaller than the angel himself. And then something even more surprising happens to the red lizard who's dead. This dead creature begins to swell with flesh and muscle and is transformed into a dazzling white stallion with a golden mane and a golden tail. The man jumps on his back and then they ride together a nearly vertical green slope there in heaven. And in Lewis's words, they ride off into the rose brightness of the everlasting morning. When we are freed from darkness and evil, it may be painful, but on the other side is freedom and strength and beauty. And so how can we be set free from darkness, whether it's demonic, whether it's an addiction, whether it's an idol of some kind or something else? We see in the passage that Jesus has great authority over the darkness. The man who comes before Jesus and the demons that reside within him are terrified of Jesus. They beg Jesus, in God's name, don't, don't, don't torture us, son of the most high God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, as we read the passage, looks at the man and says, What is your name? And the man or the spirits within him reply, Our name is Legion, for we are many. According to um, what we understand of Roman legions in this first century world, they were a company of about 5,000 soldiers. So incredibly, there may have been 5,000 demons residing in or near this afflicted man. And Jesus simply says the word, leave, and they depart. There's no abracadabra, no fancy ritual or incantation. Jesus simply says, depart, impure spirit, and 5,000 spirits or so leave this man. Jesus has authority, and so one of the ways that we can experience freedom from evil and darkness in our lives is to turn to Jesus, to pray to Jesus. Some years ago, a young man came to see me in my office, and he said, I know this may sound strange, but I feel like there is this darkness, this, this darkness that is weighing upon me. And, and I asked him to tell me a little bit about his life and lifestyle, and among other things, he described how he was using illegal drugs. And though he didn't use the term illegal, it was obvious he was involved in illegal sexual activities as well. And when he had finished, I said, have you ever given your life to Christ? He said, no. And I briefly explained that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. He died on the cross to break the power of evil in our life, to pave the way for us to be forgiven and restored to God. And I said, would you like to right now give your life to Christ? He said, yes. So I led him in a simple prayer where he gave his life to Christ. And after we were done praying, I remembered how he had described certain illegal sexual activities, and it occurred to me that certain sexual activities can, in some cases, open a person up to a dark spirit, as can involvement with the occult, playing with a Ouija board, intergenerational curses, holding on willfully to anger, according to Ephesians 4, 
uh, 20, 26 and 27 uh, to list just some examples of a, of a longer list. And so I, I looked at the, the young man and said, um, I know this may sound strange, but I, I feel that you may be afflicted by some dark spirits. I may be totally wrong here, uh, but before you go, do you mind if I, if I pray for you? And he said, no, that would be fine. And so we bowed our heads. I began praying for him. And when I mentioned the name Jesus, asking Jesus to set him free if he was being oppressed from any darkness, the man just shrieked. He just cried out in a loud voice. I opened my eyes and his face was contorting. His neck was contorting. He started to convulse and shake. I didn't know exactly what to do in that moment. But I happen to recall this passage in Mark 5 where Jesus asks the man, what is your name? So I just sort of mimicked Jesus and I said, what is your name? And in a dark, eerie voice that clearly wasn't originating from him, was coming through him, the voice said, lust. My name is hatred. My name is pride and so on and on. And, and I invited Jesus just to send the, 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 the dark spirits sort of one by one out of him. We ended up having two or three prayer sessions to, to seek his deliverance in Jesus' name. And looking back, I'm, I'm quite sure that what this young man was experiencing, though unknowingly before this prayer time, these prayer times, um, was a kind of demonization, a kind of affliction by dark spirits. Now, whether we are experiencing affliction from dark spirits, or whether we are battling with an addiction, or we are uh, wrestling with an idol in our lives. Uh, these are forms of darkness that Jesus can break. Let me also say this. Mental illness and being demonized are different things, okay? So I don't want us to be confused about those two different things. But I want us to be clear that no matter what our darkness is, Jesus has the authority and power to break that darkness. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, of the 18th century rightly wrote, he, that is Jesus, breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me and you. There's power in Jesus, in his name, in his presence. Another way we can be set free from the power of darkness in our life and evil is through baptism. Now, as we read in this Mark 5 passage, when the man kneels before Jesus, the demons within him are terrified. And for some reason, the demons don't want to leave that general area called the Gerasenes. They want to have some kind of embodied existence. So they plead with Jesus as Jesus is sending them out of this man to be able to enter the pigs. There are about 2,000 pigs on this nearby hillside. And Jesus gives them permission to do so. The pigs are spooked by the demon's presence in them. They run off, off the hill, off a cliff, and into the waters of the Sea of Galilee where they are drowned. Now, interestingly, some of the commentators across the centuries, and this is not a majority view, but they contend that because the demons entered the water through the pigs and in the water were apparently banished, that the waters of the Sea of Galilee in which they drowned represent the waters of baptism. Now, I don't hold to that particular view. I, I, I don't think Mark was probably in, intending that in terms of in his imagination as he was writing this account. But 
I do know that the sacred waters of baptism are powerful and can break the forces of evil from what the Bible teaches and from my own observation. Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer of the church, from time to time felt oppressed by dark spirits. He would push back by saying, but I have been baptized. He would speak to the dark spirits or to the devil. But I have been baptized. I have been baptized. Frederick Dale Bruner is one of the leading commentators on the Gospels. And he writes, Believers have a circle of protection drawn in blood around them in which the spirits may not come. Evil spirits may shout over us, shout over the circle to frighten us, but cannot touch us within the circle of baptismal grace. For through baptism we have been made part of God's family, which means that God is now responsible for us as a father. And he has equipped us with the Holy Spirit spirit. So Dale Brunner is saying, look, the evil spirits may shout over us, they may shout at us, they may even frighten us, but they ultimately cannot harm us if we are in the circle of baptismal grace, if we are in Christ. Paul similarly says, with even greater authority as a writer of scripture in Romans 8, 38 and 39, that if we are in Christ, if we have been baptized into his reality, into his personhood, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I was recently with an indigenous woman named Tasha who was telling me part of her story. She explained that back in January on Keats Island where she lives as part of a small indigenous community led by Cheryl Buchanan, the wife of Mark Buchanan, friends of 10th. Mark will be speaking at our Mount Pleasant weekend away in May. Um, Tasha was explaining how in January she was feeling spiritually oppressed and so Cheryl Buchanan, who, who, who leads this small indigenous community, said, why don't you come over to my cottage and we can pray together? So Tasha does so. And they're praying together. And during the prayers, Tasha is explaining to me that Cheryl prays, God, would you give Tasha a picture, a sense of how much you love her? And Tasha said, immediately... I had a vision, a very clear picture of the ocean, and I sensed God saying to me, I want you to drench yourself in the ocean of my love for you. Very clear, very specific. So she, she stopped pr- the prayer and said, uh, Cheryl, this is what God just showed me. This is what I think God said to me. I want you to drench yourself in the ocean of my love. Cheryl looked at Tasha and said, would you like to be baptized? Tasha said, yes. Cheryl said, when? How about now? They live on Keats Island, so they walk down to the ocean. And it was an overcast, cloudy day, as it was for much of the month of January, as you may recall. Tasha had a sense that even though it was overcast and cloudy, God was going to part the clouds when she was baptized. The sun would actually shine upon her as a sign of God's love for her. So she's baptized in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, just off of Keats Island. And as she comes up, the clouds literally part. The sun shines right on her as a sign of God saying, I love you. Yes, yeah, I I think that she was, Tasha and Cheryl were, were cheering too. And when you are baptized, it's like the clouds part and God's light 
shines on you, a light that will dispel the darkness. Now, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. The Gospel of John. And so if you've never been baptized, and if you have no reason not to be baptized, if you want to belong to God, if you want the light in your life, consider being baptized this coming Easter Sunday, April 9th. If you want more information about that, you can contact Sharon, Sharon at, Sharon, let me uh, uh, redo that, Sharon dot D is in Delta, Sharon dot D is in Delave, I had to put out practice pronouncing that. Uh, it's almost as hard as Shigematsu. Um, at 10th.ca, if you want information on how you can prepare for that, classes will start um, for baptism on March 19th. So that's two Sundays from today, one o'clock. So um, if there's no reason not to be baptized, contact her or talk to Craig. So Jesus, praying in Jesus' name, being prayed for in Jesus' name. Baptism can set us free from darkness and evil. And so can pursuing a path of holiness and wholeness. The passage tells us that this man who was demonized had power. He had some kind of force that enabled him to break chains, but the power was also hurting him. The spirits were hurting him, causing him to cut himself and to cry out. And evil does give us something for a time. It works until it doesn't work. And in John 10.10, 10, an important passage in the Bible, Jesus says, the thief that is Satan, the darkness comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Luis Palau was a preacher from Argentina who inspired me to enter into vocational Christian ministry. Luis Palau once said, if you think sin is fun, you should just try holiness. <laughs> In other words, sin is fun. It does bring pleasure for a season, as the scriptures concede. But holiness is even funner in the sense of if you move toward a God-given wholeness, you will know a longer-lasting joy. You will feel more alive and free than ever before. There will be a beauty to holiness and wholeness that cannot be rivaled by evil. So seek Jesus Christ. Be baptized if you haven't been. And pursue a path of God's help toward holiness and wholeness. In the passage, the pigs rush off the cliff into the waters and are drowned. And some of you may be asking or maybe asked, what about the poor little pigs? What about them? As Mark Garland, a commentator on the book of Mark, points out, Jesus doesn't send the pigs into the water. He allows the demons to go into the pigs and the demons spook the pigs so they end up drowning in the water. But maybe Jesus foresaw this. We don't know for certain. But he may have allowed this to happen. I want to say this. That Jesus and God values pigs and even sparrows that are worth less in the first century world than, than two pennies. Uh, Jesus and God value the animals of the world. So I just want to make that really clear. But if Jesus knew what was going to happen to the pigs, Jesus was saying through what followed that even a homeless, deranged, and demonized man is worth more to him than 2,000 pigs. And no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done or haven't done, you are worth more to God, your creator, than all the pigs and sparrows and all the animals of the world. In fact, 
you are worth as much to God as his unique son, Jesus. How do we know that? Because God the Father gave us his son, Jesus. Offered him up as a kind of sacrifice on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made whole, so that we could be reconciled and part of God's family. You are as precious to God as Jesus is. In the story, we read that the man before encountering Jesus was running naked. He meets Jesus. And then we read he is clothed later in the passage. We read that before meeting Jesus, he is cutting himself, screaming at the top of his lungs. After meeting Jesus, he is seated, clothed, and in his right mind, he is at peace. And finally, we read that before meeting Jesus, this man was, was living night and day among the tombs, literally among the dead. But after meeting Jesus, he's restored. And so he is sent back to his village in the Decapolis and interacts with the living. Not long thereafter, Jesus would die on a cross, completely naked, no length off, naked, so that you and I might be clothed in the only way that really matters. Jesus Christ on the cross, as he died for us, cried out, he lost his mind, so that our mind and spirit might be restored, so that we might be at peace. Jesus Christ on the cross died, he died for our sins, entered a tomb, so that though you and I will also one day die physically, we will not remain in a tomb, but we will resurrect and know God's eternal life in the world to come, both now and in the world to come. That is, Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for you and for me. Let's pray together. God is closer to you than your breath. And if you want, in your spirit, you can turn to God in prayer. And you can say, set me free from any darkness that might be in my life through the presence of something demonic or an addiction of some kind or an idol or something else, the world, simple human nature, the devil, whatever. You can turn to Jesus in your heart and say, Jesus, shine the light of your presence in me and break the power of evil. Jesus, you can do it. Only you can do it. And I pray that you would. Give me your amazing grace, grace that breaks the power of darkness. And if you've never been baptized and you would like to consider that, perhaps even in your heart, pray, Jesus, should I be baptized? Would you like me to be baptized this coming Easter? You know, without any pressure, just ask that and see if the Lord responds in some way. May you be free and may you be whole through the strong and victorious and overcoming presence of Jesus Christ in your life. In whose name we pray. Amen.